Welcome to the XL Podcast, conversations with leaders about the big challenges, the exponential challenges facing business and society in the new decade. My name is Graham Brown. I'm on a quest to find out how leaders are meeting the three big challenges facing us today, artificial intelligence, digital transformation, and the Asian century. Subscribe and discover more episodes at www.xlpodcast.org. Hello and welcome to episode one of the XL Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to introduce my first guest, who is none other than Tony Fernandez, the CEO and founder of Air Asia. And he's a man who bears a big title, but when you actually get down to it and you talk to him, and as we find out in this podcast conversation today, he's very much an authentic leader and how important that is today in the modern business landscape because how we experience brands is so much through the people these days than the logos and the marketing campaigns so your experience of air asia is now really very much down to people like tony fernandez and the people of air asia and the stories they tell and how you interact with them how important that is in business for engaging customers, engaging partners, and creating change. And that really is the story of AirAsia that we're going to be talking about today. And his style, very much engaging, human, and authentic. Bit of backstory to this interview today is that actually, Tony didn't actually take any questions for this conversation. He didn't want to have the questions pre-prepared. We went into this conversation. He didn't know what we were going to talk about. And those are the best conversations because it allows them to be more authentic and tell a little bit about themselves rather than simply doing interview Q&A, which is great because in this conversation, Tony reveals details of his past that he has never before shared in public. He also discusses his entrepreneurial business 101. What is the mindset that you need to become a billionaire entrepreneur? And also, importantly, his Air Asia vision for the future. So enjoy this conversation with Tony Fernandez. We're on a tour, on a mission to discover who matters and what matters in the Asian startup ecosystem. Today, we're in the beautiful Red Q, home of Air Asia, which will give you indication who our special guest is today. So, without much further ado, I'll introduce him, Tony Fernandez. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Graham. Good, morning to you. Good to be here. Finally. Finally. <laughs> yeah. There's a I, bit of a history here. Yeah. I met seven months? Seven months? It's yeah. taken, is it as long as that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember meeting you in a food court. Newton Hawker Center. Newton Who would have Hawker Center. Tony Fernandez. There we go. And his wife in Newton <laughs> Hawker Center on a Friday night. I remember it well. <laughs> in fact, we had the last table and we offered you the last pair of seats. Correct. Very kind of you. And, do you, and maybe one day we'll do business together. Well, exactly. Who knows? Watch go. this space. So yeah. I, I feel that um, some of the subjects that I want to talk about today with you is, um, obviously, I think you're one of the, the, the better storytellers, if not the best storyteller in Asia. Um, so I think that's a big part of what you do, taking opportunities, telling stories. And that's sort of leadership in a way. Um, but before we sort of go down the road of platitudes, I want to talk a little bit about, I've been creeping your Instagram profile, and I've seen you've been working out in the gym a bit. Yeah. 
How's that going? Yeah, going good. Um, I've actually, uh, it's the hardest thing in my life, you know, uh, losing weight. Oh. Food's great. Stress is high in this job. Um, sleep is a premium. Uh, sometimes by choice, <laughs> because you're partying late at night. And uh, traveling doesn't help you. you yeah. know, being consistent in the diet helps you if you're in one place at one time zone. But, um, you know, I kind of was playing squash not so long ago, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I thought I looked like Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. You're hard on yourself, Tony. Uh, well, you know, so I thought it's time. It's time. <laughs> so um, watching, I think whatever you do on the exercise is food. Yeah. What you put in your body is 90% of uh, uh, the problem. Hmm. So I'm really watching what I eat, which is tough hmm. in this part of the world. As you know, we were in Newton Circus. Yeah, exactly. Mac. Yeah. And, uh, you know, try, we try and do a bit more gym hmm. and uh, trying to be less stressed and travel in sensible patterns hmm. um, as opposed to going to New York for a day and flying back, right. It disrupts. It's hard, isn't it? To get into a it rhythm does, and yeah. that discipline. So it's going better. I, I look to my, you know, I keep looking at myself in the mirror and I, I see the shape is, yeah, I've got a, I've got a couple of abs there. <laughs> you know, I've got four more to get. Are they in the right place? Yeah, they're in the right place. Fantastic. Four more. So, you know, let's see. Good. It's the work challenge. In, yeah, work in progress. Yeah. You like a challenge. I like a challenge, but this is a, this is the toughest. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, food's great. It's one of the pleasures of life, right? Exactly. So, uh, what do you do? Well, watch this space. Um, th there's another thing I saw you on media recently. I saw you on Larry King. Mm. And um, I enjoyed that interview. You, I thought you were quite playful. It looked like you were having fun. What was it like for you on yeah, that Yeah, it was side? great. I mean, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's a legend. And uh, I, I didn't even think any American knew me. So <laughs> that was kind of nice. And ironically, my, my son has pretty much zero interest in what I do. Right. And has never really praised me for anything I've achieved in my life or said too many positive things. Mm. He's kind of like my father mm. that was with me. When I told him I was going to be on Larry King, he was like, wow, that wow. is so cool. Did so, he actually get uh, what you do now? Could actually... Maybe maybe a bit more. Okay. And so, yeah, I had fun. And I think he had fun as well because I don't think he knew what to expect. And we yeah. were just kind of having a conversation yeah. as we're having one now. Yeah, it was good. It came out well. Yeah. I think you, there's a little bit of a, a playful spirit in there as well. Maybe you wanted to go off a little bit. In I saw you were like speaking to camera as well. In that. Yeah. It's like I don't see Larry King guests do that, so... But that's sort of your style, isn't it? That you were sort of speaking to the audience rather than the interviewer. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, even today, you know, you're Singaporean Indian dude and uh, Delhi video girl. I, you know, they're they're very much part of this, right? Yeah. It's not just about you. So I like to make sure I know them as well. Mm. That's just the way I am. And so when I was when I was talking to Larry King, I mean, there were like twenty people in the room. Right. So I just wanted to make them feel part of, part of what I was talking about. So, I mean, one of the things I want to talk about is like the people who have inspired and influenced you mm. and also how you've inspired and sort of paid that back and influenced other people here in Asia. And um, one of those people, I'm sure, is a big part of your story was your mum. Mm. And early mm. on, she used to sell Tupperware mm. across Asia. And it's mm. quite a fascinating story because I, I, I read that you said she could sell ice to the Eskimos. Yeah. Wow, you've really done your research. Yeah, that's, that's my job, Tony. <laughs> Come on, I'm not going to blow this. So, 
And she um, would drag you around airports. So maybe that's where your love of airports yeah. came from early on. No, let me correct that statement. I don't love airports. Right, okay. <laughs> I love travel. planes more. Travel, yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah uh, you know, she was an incredible woman. There's no two ways about it. She was a music teacher. She left school when she was mm. very young. Uh, she taught herself music. She was an amazing musician. And um, she had the gift of the gab. I mean, really had the gift of the gab and was able to sell ice to an Eskimo. Mm. So in her, in her sari and um, her limited financial knowledge, she started becoming a Tupperware dealer and rose up the ranks. And uh, she was hyper. So I used to, you know, I, I loved following her around. I loved seeing her in action. Mm. Used to follow her around in Malaysia and we'd fly, obviously, on little turboprops all over and you know she'd be getting all these women together and selling Tupperware and we'd compose songs together you know I got a Tupper feeling up in my head sell more Tupperware sell more Tupperware and it was an amazing childhood and she kind of taught me the power of motivation and the power mm. of how you can turn a raw diamond into a diamond how you could bring out um, as I'm talking to Aziz right now how you can seize talent that they may not even know or realize they had. That has been the gift she gave me is in, you know, she would meet drivers, she would meet waiters, and she would motivate them to do other things mm. and hire them. And that stuck with me, that everyone's got potential and sometimes the potential is inside that they don't even know themselves and given the chance. And AirAsia is a lot of that. Mm. A lot of people here who you know, joined with, I'm going to do this and I'm doing something completely different. My job is to turn a raw diamond into a diamond and to push them to a limit where they didn't know they could go. Hmm. And that's, you know, so I never talked to Aziz about, you know, doing podcasts. And when we were walking down here, I said, you should hang with Graham. And I think there's a business there. Yeah. I think you'd be great at it. So, you know, he didn't even think of that. Um, and I think now, you know, he's pretty excited about it. Uh, There's a diamond in the making there. We hope so. hope so. With your help. Well, I'll do and, my and, best. And Singaporean dude and Delhi girl. It's a, te it's a team. Yeah. It's, a te <laughs> I, it's obviously had a big impact on you and how you, you do business. Did, you're talking about sort of identifying talent as well. Did she see that in you when you were a kid? Yeah. My, well, my mother was, I had two types. Right? I had an Indian dad who went to boarding school when he was five. And so it was devoid of emotion. Amazing man, but mm. just could never praise, just you know, a bit like my son. And um, a mother who, you know, if I was the worst football player in the world, she still thought I was Pele. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it was a great contrast. And then give you a contrast. I remember once, you know, in a different body, I was very good at sport. And I was about 11 years old playing against a Japanese team. And my father would religiously come to every single match. And I think we were like 6-0 up and I'd scored five of the goals and I was captain of the team. And he walked up and I thought, well, he's going to praise me for the first time. And he said, God, you're a hog. You haven't passed the ball once. Wow. <laughs> to anybody. Wow. Imagine an 11-year-old like, oh Yeah, my you're God. a star. <laughs> so, but that was him. You know, I kind of got used to it. So my mother was quite opposite. Yeah. So it was a good balance. She gave you the belief. Yeah, she gave me the belief that anything could be done and mm. overly sometimes because I knew it wasn't real that she really believed that I was as good as Pele or anything like that, right? But 
but she did give me the belief that anything was possible. Yeah, there's that theme as well here in AirAsia and the businesses that you do, in, in women as well. I'm surprised mm. how many women are here. And also, you know, women pilots. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know the actual stats, but I've heard it said that you employ more female pilots than any other airline. Yeah, we do as a percentage, yeah. yeah. What was it um, like when you employed the first one, though? It oh, it was a real high for me. Because I remember going to my chief pilot and saying, why are there no female pilots in this company? What did they say? And I can't repeat it. It was the most dumbest thing ever. Right. <laughs> ever. It's just so embarrassing to even mention. I've never told anybody. And um, I said, if a woman can run a country, she can certainly fly a plane. So it was right. a big high for me. Yeah. And I remember meeting one who's now an instructor at a, at a political convention. And she said, you know, I want to be a, a jet pilot. She was a turboprop pilot. And I said, well, why not? And she said, Oh, they say I'm too short. So I said, well, just move the seat forward, right? <laughs> and as long as you can see the, right. I mean, you know, you know, not midgets, so you can't see the right. the, the cockpit. I mean, the, the display, um, the window, sorry. And now she's an instructor on yeah. 3.30, right? Yeah. Uh, Airbus 3.30. So there are some strange things in the aviation business. There are some strange myths in Asia. And... Uh, We've broken a lot of those myths. Yeah, and in a good way. In a good way. And I think it's not deliberate. Hmm. It's a meritocracy. I haven't said, oh, no. Well, the women pilots was deliberate. I mean, why would you? You've gone from two planes to 250 planes. Why would you exclude 50% of the workforce? Hmm. <laughs> That's hmm. just nuts. Um, but there is a lot of women in this company. It's not a deliberate. It's not trying to you know, say we're heroic and we're diverse. We just do what's right, do the right thing. And if someone's good, then... They deserve the job. Absolutely. And good for you as well. And it takes somebody who has that kind of belief to stand up to criticism, to give that belief to somebody else as mm. well. Yeah. It was weird because I got given an award the other day in Singapore yeah. where we were supposed to make the Global Empowerment Award. And I was like, well, that's nice. Uh, and it was, it was all mostly women there. Uh, but it, I didn't think I did anything extraordinary because oh. it, it was just the... No normal thing. I didn't go out there and say, I'm going to champion women. Hmm. Uh, I just did what I thought was normal. But that was natural for you because you had a role model such as your mother from early age. Yeah. That's, what they, that's what they're capable of. Yeah. Right. But I think my whole, um, you know, uh, maybe my mother, maybe not, but I'm a huge believer in diversity. Hmm. When I see what Donald Trump is saying, when I see Brexit, which really Brexit is about immigration, let's be real. Um, there are some who don't like the bureaucracy and the budget, etc., where there's logic. But the majority of people that voted against it just thought there was an overflow of immigrants coming into the country, right? Um, and I've never understood that concept. I celebrate diversity. I mm. love the fact we have different people in the organization from different backgrounds and different religion and different culture and different food. It's, it's so exciting, right, to meet... We have a crew from Namibia. I thought that was so cool, right? Um, we got a Brazilian crew. Um, yesterday I met someone from Honduras, you know, and this is Malaysia, right? It, yeah. We have so many different types of people. We have an Austrian lawyer. Uh, so um, I love diversity and it should be celebrated. And I think uh, my mother was part of that, but it also was inside me that... Mm. Diversity is great. Because you went to Epsom College. We were yeah. talking about that last time. Yeah, my so. parents didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up in Epsom as well, so yeah. explain that away. So. Yeah, so um, 
How was it like when you, I mean, you were there, what, in the 70s and 80s? Yeah, yeah, I, so arrived, I arrived in 1977. I've never said this on, on public um, radio or anything, actually. I don't, think, don't even think I said it in my book, but I haven't read my books for a, <laughs> for a while. So um, basically, my father came to me one day and said, you know, we're sending you to boarding school. I said, okay. You were living in Malaysia. I was living in Malaysia. I'd never been to England. I thought, well, that's an interesting concept. And then as the days got closer, it was like, okay. And when I got to the airport, and it was a little airport, Subang Airport, I was wearing my school uniform, my tie, and half of the village had come to see me off, so I felt fairly cool. I was wearing an unaccompanied miner's badge. I had my Samsonite briefcase with instant noodles in them. And off I went. The coolness wore off when I got on the plane, like, oh, wow, where am I going? You know, I was on Qantas. And I arrived in, in Heathrow Airport, and I thought, wow, there's so many white people here. I've never seen so many white people yeah. before. And it was, you would, you know, you take that naturally, right? But for me, it was like, wow, I've never seen so many white people. I told my daughter, you have no such problem when you go because now everyone in Heathrow is Indian. Yeah. So right. <laughs> you'll feel but quite at home. The 70s were very different. Yeah. And my father was, you know, kind of a little bit of a lunatic. He, want, he thought I was a mummy's boy, which I was. And so he wanted me to make my own way to school. And so I took a green line bus. Uh, Wait, you'd never been to London before? No. Did anybody meet you? No, yet? no. And How old were you? Uh, 13. And I took a Green Line bus to wow. Epsom College. And I, they dropped me at the Spread Eagle. There was a pub there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember walking up to Epsom High Street and this girl comes up to me. And she sticks a hand in front of me and there's a swastika. Wow. And I thought, that, I thought that was some English greeting. I went, oh, hi. <laughs> she was a skinhead uh, with her DM boots <laughs> Stuff and uh, I just said, Oh, hi! <laughs> wow, what a greeting! Uh, yeah, and then uh, later on, I found out what, what skinheads oh. and mods were all about. And um, I arrived at Epsom College and I thought, My god, what have I done wrong in my life? It looked like a prison camp, yeah, and it was so bizarre. You know, I was the only Malaysian boy there. What, what did they and think of you? I mean, in well, you know, they they were kind of okay, hmm. there was no formal racism or anything like that, but it was um. You know, they didn't know Malaysia. I had to tell people it's in between Singapore and Thailand. And I remember the first, we had two day boys. And that first weekend, or, I mean, a few, you know, exit, um, one of the day boys invited everyone except me. And I was like, oh, wow, I wonder why. And then later on I discovered he thought I wouldn't know how to use a knife and fork. He honestly thought we lived in tree houses um, in Malaysia. So... Imagine that scenario. Yeah, yeah. And boarding school is hard. It's hard for anyone, leave alone a foreigner. But I was good at sport, and that mm. kind of got me integrated much more. And I, you know, I loved Epsom College so much. I built it in Malaysia, right? So it sounds like Victor Kaya. It's karma, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what does that do for you as an entrepreneur? Because you know, you were on the outside. And you developed this ability to, I mean, you know, at 13 years old, you were sent to a foreign country where you looked different and everybody looked different. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, how did that sort of impact you in the sense of like, you know... Yeah, I think, I think it was the making of me. I honestly believe that because, you know, one, you have to survive. Two, I believe the strongest aspect of my character, if there is a strong aspect of my character, is the ability to communicate hmm. and the ability to talk to anyone. 
anywhere, any race, creed, color, billionaire, pauper, whatever. They're all, all people to me. And um, I think Epsom College and being thrown in the deep end kind of broadened my outlook on life and mm. allowed me to celebrate this diversity, which is what AirAsia is all about and whatever else I do. Does it also get, did it give you in the early days before you started AirAsia the ability to, or even now I guess, to talk to anybody who some people may be fearful of? And the example being, I mean, I think you write that you were a bad accountant who loved music. Yeah. So like to marry your interests, you went to all the record labels yeah. and they all said no to you except one. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, so, you know, accounting, I was an auditor, that's even worse than being an accountant. Right. I was like brain dead, um, you know, just adding up numbers. And uh, as a musician, music is a massive part of my life, and still is. Hmm. Uh, and um, so I wrote to every record company. I didn't get past the interview. I didn't get into the door, except Virgin. Virgin gave me an interview and summarily rejected me <laughs> on the spot. Did you meet Richard at the time? Well, I was walking out, and Richard Branson was walking in. And so I always tell people in speeches, you know, you make your life, just like this interview, you know, you make, your, you make decisions on the spur of the moment, mm. right? <clears throat> And don't throw away opportunities. Us Asians analyze, you know, talk to our grandmother, talk to our father, talk to whatever, and then don't do it. I thought, there's Richard Branson. Shall I be a shy Asian and just smile at him? Uh, or shall I try and talk to him and maybe he'll give me a chance and get me a job? So I think I mentioned something about wild men or of Borneo or something, you know, <laughs> something to trigger interest. And we started talking about Sarawak. And he said, hey, let's have a cup of coffee. You look an interesting guy. And that was it, right? That was, the, that, was that little, little gap that mm. I, I took. And we started talking. He said, there's something really special about you. Why are you here? And I said, I've come for an interview, but you rejected me. He said, well, I'm going to change that around. And uh, there I was. I got a job in Virgin Television. Yeah, which was the precursor to he was do, I was doing editing music videos. We were doing um, you're my age, so you probably know. We were doing you know aha videos uh -huh. with Godly and Cream and Peter Gabriel, and uh, Richard had something called Music Box, which was the precursor of MTV. Hmm. And so I was like, wow, you know, I landed on my on my feet, right? Uh, I was in the finance department, and even though I passed my accounting exams, I still didn't understand debit or credit. But you suddenly click and you get it, and I moved very fast up, and I got promoted to financial controller at Virgin, one of the Virgin subsidiaries. And I was only like 24, 25 at the time. And, um, you know, I was rising up Virgin, and then Richard started to start his uh, airline. And uh, I thought that was a crazy decision <laughs> to start an airline. And uh, so I decided to look for a job, and my love was always music. And I ended up in uh, Warner Music. Uh, yeah. So I left Virgin. I thought Richard would sell the record company, which was my dream, was to be in the record company in Virgin, not in television. And my prophecy was right. I mean, he sold Virgin Records to EMI. Where I was wrong was that Virgin people took over yeah. uh, EMI. Uh, so um, ironically, one of the first people to call me out when I started AirAsia was Richard, who said, oh, I thought it was a dumb thing to start an airline. 
So poetic justice. So you did. <laughs> so did. there's a gap there, though, isn't there? Which, you know, you didn't have, you weren't, you know, I mean, obviously from the world of Virgin, but you weren't hands on experience in an airline. And no, then I had zero experience in an airline. Somebody presented you with an opportunity, and again, yeah. you took it like that. Yeah. But didn't you, you know, when you have those kind of moments, don't you feel that this is either really, really stupid or genius? Yeah. How well, do you know which is which? You don't. And, you know, <clears throat> Uh, while you mentioned the genius bits, there are a lot of dumb bits along the right. way, right? But two things I'll say. One is, and I say this in my speeches, I say there's a very fine line between brilliance and stupidity, hmm. right? If I had failed at AirAsia, Delhi girl, they would have said, stupid idiot. He should have stayed in Warner Music and become president yeah. of Warner Records, right? Who was he? But now yeah. it's like, oh, brilliant decision, right? So... The thing is, you never know. You never know. But I always say, you've got to try. You're going to sit there at 55 and say, I wish I did it. So you can't press that rewind button, right? Mm. So <clears throat> I'm never afraid of failure. I do it. If it works, it works. Fantastic. If it doesn't, I move on and do something else. Mm. I don't sit there and worry and say, oh, you know, I mean, I failed spectacularly in Formula One. But I did it. It was a dream, right? I was there with McLaren. And no Williams. You know, I used to be on the outside of Brands Hatch. I couldn't afford to go and watch the race, right? Because Bernie was still ripping off people in the in the eighties. But I was able to go and be on the grid. Hmm. At the back of the grid. But I was still on the grid. So <clears throat> um you see something, you think it's a good idea, I just do it. You what know, was going through your, your mind at that time when you had the opportunity? Because I think I mean, I saw it again posted on your Instagram. You posted, I don't know if it was a share certificate or a receipt for one ringgit yeah. for AirAsia. When you would... It was a receipt. It was a receipt for yeah. one ringgit. It's I mean, here somewhere. Yeah. I mean, what a great piece of you know, memorabilia. Yeah. That you went from two aircraft to 200 plus, and then you, you broke even, or paid off the debts and broke even. Mm. But what was going through your mind when you were doing it? Did you believe in yourself 100%? Did well, you I believed in the model, right? So I always tell people who ask me, you know, I want to start a business. What should I do? Mm. I say, find something that people want, right? So, and that's the first thing. If you have a product that people want, that's 50% of your battle, right? So, if you want the, the Tony 101 on business, right? I'll give, you a, I'll give you a music analogy. So, you can have a great artist, but no song, no product. You have a great artist who's the best voice in the world, but no song, also bad. Hmm. You have a sorry, you have a great song. Sorry, you have a great artist who hasn't got the song, but if a great um, song, but a bad artist. You you got a great artist and a great song, great product. So I always say you got to have a great product. The second thing is once you have a great record, the next thing is to tell the world about it. Right, so that's marketing, promotion, etc. Too many companies, too many mm. great ideas, never get to be heard by people, and that's what we did really well at AirAsia. We really built a brand out of nothing, right? And then the third one is, well, you have a great product, everyone knows about it. Where do they buy it? And so we use the internet to create a distribution model. But it's it's as simple as that. So the first, and then around that is the most important thing is a great team. It's never about the individuals, but having mm. great people who complement each other. And uh, 
form this amazing team to deliver this vision. In our case, it was low fares. Um, and it was a religion for us. But number one is the product. So when I was sitting in Spaniards Inn, after I'd quit from Warner, and I was thinking, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? This is a pub, by the way. Yes, yeah. <laughs> in Hampstead. Uh, think, you know, I just quit from Warner. Big job, lots of money, dinner with Madonna, flying first class everywhere. And I just thought, I don't want to be part of this anymore. Um, and I saw Stelios of EasyJet. Now, there is no exaggeration here. There is no little nice bits so the book looks better. I always loved planes. I was a plane spotter. I used to go to Queen's Building and, and watch planes with Charlie Hunt, my, my best friend at school. Uh, I w and I was obsessed with Freddie Laker mm. I thought, and People's Express. But Freddie Laker, I used to just stand at the check-in queue and marvel at people flying to New York for 59 Right. Um, dollars. Who's the guy that brought cheap flights for everybody? Correct. Right? Across the Atlantic yeah. and basically the big airlines put him out of business. And People's Express was the first low-cost airline. Um, and so when I saw Stella, I thought, oh, this is a great idea. So I went to Luton Airport. I saw people flying to Barcelona for eight pounds and mm. Paris for six. Everyone's, it was an orange. People were generally happy. And I thought that moment I'm going to do it. As I always say in my speeches, there's a fine line between brilliance and stupidity. But I thought, if I could bring this product to Asia, and there was one statistic that hit me when I started doing a bit of research, only 6% of Malaysians flew, right? So I thought, wow, that's a 94% market, mm. right? And it was even less in Thailand, less in Indonesia, etc. So I didn't know the aeropolitics. I didn't know how to run an airline. But I thought, this is a great idea. The rest is easy. Getting that great idea is the tough part. Right. When you woke up the day after buying it, yeah. and you actually had to now make that idea into a business, yeah. what was the feeling then? Wow. Exhilaration that I owned an airline. Yeah. Exhilaration that, wow, here's this big world ahead of us. Fear that if I screwed up, 254 people would lose their jobs. Yeah. That was the biggest, that was the only fear I had. Um, because they were never going to lose their job with DRB Highcom. That was a big, successful company with lots of cash and getting paid every month. But we had no money. <laughs> so if we mm. failed, they would be out of a job. So that was the big fear. But, wow, excited. You know, guys selling records and suddenly owning an airline. And mm. um, I remember the first press interview, someone in the press said to me, will you be here in three months' time? I said, I really have no idea. Mm. Come and see us in three months' time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and he was still a reporter when we had our 10th anniversary, actually. Fantastic. Uh, so I called all the reporters from the first press interview. And, uh, yeah, it's been quite a, really a little bit unbelievable. When I saw the Chinese transport minister, he summed it up. He said, AirAsia is a fairy tale. Hmm. And it is a bit of a fairy tale, right? You know, it's kind of like a guy in the music business with no money takes on Singapore Airlines and Malaysian Airlines and Thai um, with no experience. It's kind of a Disney movie, right? Mm. Roy of the Rovers, mm. for those who went to school in England <laughs> or lived in I England. I get it. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, Roy of the Rovers was the guy who, whatever happened, he always won. Mm. Right? <laughs> but it, that doesn't happen in reality. Uh, so, 
so yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. And it goes back to somewhere you asked me. I think what I try to do when I meet people is say, look, if I can do it, you yeah. can do it. My fundamental belief, and this is where I've always had issues with Singapore and Malaysia, and so on, the state controls too much of the economy. I believe entrepreneurs should drive. Mm. If, you, if you look at America, there's very little state intervention, right? It's all driven by entrepreneurs. And if you look at the most successful businessmen in Asia, they're, they're far better entrepreneurs than, than in, in America. Mm. But, you know, if, if you look at Singapore, there's GIC, there's Tamasic, there's, you know, the, in, in Malaysia, there's Kazana involved in a big way, and Thailand has state-owned enterprises, etc. And I think we have some of the best entrepreneurs. So I always tell people, and this whole digital revolution, you know, has excited me so much because... The state hasn't got involved in that. Hmm. And so, you know, you've got Grab coming out of nowhere, Travel Loca and, you know, Tokopedia and all these companies that are coming out. So um, I like to tell people that this is real. You know, we had no money. We had a dream. We had no experience. And look at what we've built. So hmm. you can do that. You know, trying to tell young kids that you can achieve if you have a dream. And don't worry about failure. What should they do? I mean, let's sort of think about that in terms of easy action points for young kids. So, mm. if I'm a a young kid, I'm graduating university now. Mm. And what's my? What can I actually do? How do I do what? Well, you I do? think I think. Look, I never thought I could be an entrepreneur. I was too, you know. I, I loved what my mother did, but mm. I had more of my father in me when it came to conservatism. Right? It, I, I know it doesn't look like that now, but. I was. I wanted to go out the corporate ladder. I wanted to be president of Warner Music. You know, um, I liked the the security, the salary. I I liked the rat race and all that kind of stuff. Right. I got so tired of it that it, I, I owe my credit to the politics in Warner Music mm. that I thought there must be a better way to have a life, and hence I left and and started Air Asia. And um, but the advice I give to people is. Follow your heart one, if you know, your passion. If, if you're really passionate about something, do it. Don't get advice. Because first people you ask are your parents or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or your best friend. They're the worst people to ask because <laughs> if they had that vision, they would have done it themselves. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to tell you, oh, dumb idea. Yeah. Go be a lawyer, right? Go be a doctor, whatever. So that's one. Two is, don't be afraid of failure. That's, we analyze and it's paralysis by analysis here, right? Asians don't like failure. And so they don't do it. They don't take a risk. Third is, as I said earlier, get a product that people want. Hmm. Make sure when you've got that product, you surround yourself with good people. Too many entrepreneurs think that it's only them. It's not. Yeah. And then make sure you have a budget for marketing. Now, we didn't have one, so I wore a red cap everywhere and made controversial statements. So everyone that worked. took pictures of me, right? <laughs> and I'm known as the red cap man. You know, I walk around, walk around without the red cap. I'm just a Malaysian dude, right? Put mm. the red cap on. I'm like Superman. Mm. So um, uh, we did it unconventionally to build a brand because we had no money. But look at the brand we've built. It's, it's unbelievable, actually, mm. when, you, when, you, when you think about it. So... That's the lesson. Get a good product. Well, follow your heart. If you're really passionate about something, just do it. So what if you fail? Yeah. Right? And there's uh, that lesson about asking as well. 
which I think is your yeah. whole life has been. Yeah, done. I'm never afraid, even today. You know, I'll go and say something. I don't understand. Mm. I, I just did it upstairs to someone. I said, I don't understand. Please explain this to me. And arrogance, insecurity, I don't know. And the best thing about AirAsia, I just say people ask. If you mm. don't know, right, ask. I tell an 18-year-old cabin crew, you know, there's bullying in, in the airline airline industry. There's none in AirAsia, though. I, I just got to know recently that there's some bullying within Korean crew. But um, I tell the seniors that you're blessed that you have the ability to turn a raw diamond into a diamond. Mm. You can't expect an 18-year-old girl to be superstar on day one. And screaming and shouting is not going to make them better. Coaching, helping, learning. And they will be inspired by you for the rest of their life. That's the power of leadership, right? So, you know, you... Uh, and I always tell, ask, 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 ask. Don't be shy to ask because you're not going to improve if you don't. That's a, that is a big problem with Asians. Mm. We're too shy. But I think, I mean, sort of summarizing today, I think your story, we, we learn through story, don't we? Mm. So I hear your story, it influences me. People hear your story and I think that's possible. I can be like that. I can mm. do like that. Mm. That's how you need to be if you want to get here. You've got to ask and you've got to do all these things that you've listed yeah. out. And I think it's all through story. So I think today you sharing your story has been a great lesson for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, thank you so much for the time in making this happen and no. sharing a part of your backstory as well. It's really inspiring. Yeah, pleasure. I, one more thing I'd like to say since humility. I think I always tell people you're only as good as tomorrow. Hmm. And if you start believing you're invincible, that's the beginning of the end. And I think great leaders and great companies are humble leaders. Um, great politicians are leaders that believe that they cannot stop learning and that they need a team as well and they need to interact. Till this day, and as this can tell you, and all, I will walk around and meet every single passenger on the plane. Well, I met you. Hmm. you know, I just, we just struck up a conversation, yeah. yeah? You were sharing food with us before I realized who you were. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious so <laughs> so, so um, yeah we became friends with the French people next yes. door to us who did some travel work for AirAsia yeah so I think humility is a, a key part in, in an entrepreneur's journey um, that don't think you know everything don't be afraid to ask mm. um, because someone may think you're not very smart because it's, it's better to ask and find out than yeah. do the wrong thing Great advice. That's Tony Fernandez, everybody. This is Asia Matters. We are in Red Q. Thanks to the hospitality of your team as well. They've been fantastic on onboarding us. We've had a lot of fun. I think that was a, a great interview and with a great guest as well. So thank thank you, so you very much. I'm sorry it took so long. Um, but you know what? We've learned a lot from you today. I didn't realize podcasting needed a sound man, needed a camera woman, had a mixer. Yeah. Um, and... I want to get into this business. Yeah. You know, and... Come home to music. Yeah. Come on, Tony. Well, I'm going to come home to music. Yeah. I'm going to come home to music. Audio. Yeah. Uh, it's ironic that the government asked me to run stadiums yeah. in Malaysia, and Malaysia always loses out to Singapore and Thailand. And so I've been going out there to say we're back in the business. So I went out to the Grammys to see all my mates, and I went to all the labels. And two of the biggest labels said to me, hey, Tony, we want to do a record label with you. And I was like, wow, I've kind of been there, done that, you know. 
and I said, why do you want to do this? You're such an amazing platform, you know, and you're a great driver of change and innovation. And and then I got the bug. I went to the Grammys and I you know, was with David Foster, my mates, and, you know, I saw all my old artist friends and, you know, um, Aerosmith. I'm you know, showing my age now, but the power to create, the, you know, I was with Jay-Z and Beyonce and, and you just... You know, when they play a song and the joy that gives, hmm. while we give joy to hundreds of millions of people, or hundreds of millions, hundred million people by moving people from A to B, not always they're happy because of delays, etc. But music gives joys to billions, hmm. right? And uh, my dream has always been, and it's even firmer now, you know, the Koreans have shown the way, right? K-pop, I mean, BTS are like demigods. Yeah, um, you know they were the UN. <laughs> I don't think Madonna's ever been at the UN. So, but I'm surprised that somebody on the wrong side of forty actually knows who BTS are. So. Yeah, well, music's very much part of my life. And there you go. I was listening to, I was telling my young 25 year old about Khalid, and she was like, "How do you know this artist?" <laughs> <laughs> so, music's a big part. So, I'm going to start a label, and I'm I want to bring ASEAN music to the world. I think we have so many talented people here. Yeah. Um, and the Koreans have done it with K-pop. So, you know, I want to do A-pop. And, uh, you know, I've got Filipinos and Thais and Vietnamese. We have such diversity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, wish me luck. We're going to have some fun. I yeah. was involved in Singapore with Dick Lee, um, who was the first kind of ASEAN pop crossover, right? Mm. The Mad Chinaman. He was mm. unbelievable. Unbelievable talent. And uh, with Chris Dianti in Indonesia and Sheila Majid here and Zainal. So kind of getting the buzz again. Yeah. And uh, we got a great platform to do it. Love it. And there's so many amazing stories to be told there. Looking yeah. forward to that. Thank you. Tony, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the XL Podcast with me, Graham Brown. To subscribe and discover more conversations, go to www.xlpodcast.org.